Mad Unreal. This is Arthur, that is Isaac, and this is the Shelter in Place edition of the show. Actually, you know, Arizona is not under an order of Shelter in Place. Mm, lucky. Well, let me say this. We are, we are practicing um, social distancing pretty heavily. Right. Um, Which is a lot easier I, there. <laughs> which is easy I was going to get to that yeah. Because where I live um, It's kind of like um, From perspective of Chicago uh, Like a northwest or western suburb mm-hmm. And I'm 45 minutes out Outside of uh, Phoenix mm-hmm. Although now I'm like 25 minutes On the expressway <laughs> Right because nobody's there Because you know, it's been I am legend Yeah yeah. The the spread of the virus Is, is, is much more concentrated in urban areas, in larger urban areas. So while you've so, been sheltering, have you? What have you finished? What have you? What have you watched? Unreal wise, that you normally wouldn't have watched. Have you finished anything that you have been struggling to finish? But you know, you've gotten to it since you've been sheltering. Um, because I finished Picard. I, I, yeah, I kind of gave up. Picard. <laughs> I actually started rewatching the Clone Wars. Oh, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, all right. I'm not mad at that. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. We because there's just so much that I've that that I've for you know forgotten unless it comes up in conversation mm-hmm. and it's like oh right yeah yeah that's a good one. Um, I mean that's 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 a good way to spend your time. I do. I finished Picard only because you know I want to, and I'm not saying you have to finish it because it is a long. Because I think mm-hmm. you only watched like maybe two episodes. It's a long yep. haul to episode you yep. know ten. Um, but I think that because, you know, my experience over the last several weeks has been watching Picard, one episode of Picard and then watching like, you know, 10 episodes of the original series, Star Star Trek, sure. the original series. So mm-hmm. that dichotomy that, you know, that those differences between those two shows, you know, the beginning, you know, the alpha yeah. and then the Omega, which is, you know, not the end, but the most recent, you know, iteration, recent of, iteration of Star of Trek. Mm-hmm. It's been a really interesting experience. So I think that we will do a show on that, you know, build around that experience that I've had, but I'm not saying you need to finish Picard. Cause, uh, it was, it was quite a journey, bruh. It was quite a journey. If you, if you guys go on my Twitter, there's a, um, a link I posted the other day to an article in the guardian, the, uh, the, the UK paper that yeah. kind of sums up, not, I, I shouldn't say sums up, but it touches on part of how I feel about Picard. Um, mm-hmm. it does a really good job of the kind of, you know, um, um, illustrating those points. So, okay. check that out if you get a chance. But yeah, it, it's it was quite a journey, man. From from episode one to episode ten, to say the least. So we'll have to do a future episode built around that and my simultaneous kind of um, you know exposure or experiencing you know the original series for the first time. Which you have been on for you know you you, you know you're you're an original series guy, but yeah. for me that was a you know new experience and it was. Um, coupled with Picard, it was just it was very interesting to me. Well, look, we got a lot to talk about, and um, I want to get to it. So, uh, why don't you set us off? Yo, it's Mad Unreal, episode 14. Let's go! Okay, we're going to do a, a what? Mad thoughts? Yeah, a quick round got, of we mad got, thoughts we got, we, yeah, before we, we get got into the main topic. Two or three, two or three mad thoughts that just want to get off of uh, our chest since the last time we sat down. Um, 
Numero uno, number one. What's the first one up? Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty-four. Director Patty Jenkins sent out a tweet a couple of weeks ago and said that Wonder Woman had been delayed but was reset to release in August. Right. Of I mean a couple of weeks ago we found out they they pulled it from the schedule, but then not not too long was it was it simultaneous? It was after Black Widow. No, I'm saying it was they after announced Black the Widow. pull and then say the reschedule, or they announced the pull and then they, a couple days later, they announced the rescheduling, I think. That's what I thought. The first thing I saw was the Jenkins tweet. Okay, but. And then I saw the article about, you know, like a follow up. Right, but I'm saying they didn't, I don't think that they said, I'm trying to figure out, did they say, okay, um, it's not going to drop in, what was the original date? June? Yes. Did they say it's not going to drop in June? And then a few days later, they said, "Okay, it's been rescheduled." Or did they pull it and reschedule it at the same time? I think they, I think they, it might have been simultaneous. But anyway, regardless of that fact, it's been rescheduled to August, not of 2021, but of August of 2020. Yeah. Original date June 5, 2020. New date set August 14, 2020. So only a couple months. Not, yeah, not like, like fast. Not like Fast and Furious. It's like, yeah, it's like 10 weeks. But you know what, man? I mean, Fast and Furious can say we're going to delay this film a year and they could still do well because of the strength of that franchise. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman can't do that. And why do you say that? Well, as good as it is, as good as Wonder Woman is, and she is the best of arguably Aquaman, but I'm saying she's she's the best of the DC Justice League-esque characters right. Aquaman think, made more think, money but Wonder Woman is probably the more well known hearts and, more and minds in, in the hearts yeah. of people yeah yeah acclaimed mm-hmm. yeah um I don't they can't do they can't they can't do that for a year mm. they would do better in other words let's do it this way because this is kind of what I think I think that August 14th is premature I think it's wishful thinking mm. I think that there are, is an assumption that uh, you know that AMC and theater chain and Harkins theater chain and you know these big cineplexes are good to go for August 14th mm-hmm. but they don't know because mm-hmm. I mean I think I said this on the last show it's like it's like okay it's one thing to be like yeah we're going to release the show but are people going to come out right right I mean and his- so I think Wonder Woman we're going to see that I um like who owns the it's Warner Brothers right what what streaming service does Warner Brothers have a stake in um, they are launching HBO Max. I think is going to be their thing. Um, That's where it's going to be for 1995 at home. Well, you talking about for 19? Wonder Woman 1984. You think it's going to launch at home? Yeah. Okay. So he, we talked about this. And before. follow suit. Follow suit with some of these other films. <laughs> some of these other films. We talked about this before. That, Here's why that's not going to happen. It's because of the math. They cannot make the money they need to make back. They just can't do it. I'm saying. Some money is better than no money. So let's let's look at it like this, because I agree with you that because, first of all, let's remember that Wonder Woman has already been delayed. This movie has been finished, I think, for like a mm-hmm. year and a half. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. this movie has been done. They, they're probably Warner Brothers is probably kicking themselves because they're like, we should have dropped this last summer, summer of 20, mm-hmm. 2019. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember now why it's been held, you know, until 2020. I can't remember. But the movie's done. So it's already been delayed. So I kind of agree with you. They want to get this movie out this year. They don't want to wait till 2021, um, even though if this year ends up being a wash for theatrical releases, I think that you kind of the momentum you might have lost in a normal year by not releasing yeah. it. 
you kind of get that back because nobody's he has you know nobody's movies are coming out so you kind of get that back in 2021 but the the problem with the streaming service again is that this movie i believe costs anywhere around 200 mil or maybe a little bit more than that to actually yeah to, to make to produce then you're talking about another 100 150 mil for advertising so let's just round it up to 400 million dollars so they gotta make three times that much to get some profit back they can't do that on streaming you, the biggest, you know, I'm not going to get into all the math because I'm the but, math is not my strong suit. But I will sure, say, sure, 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 I sure. will say that from what I've read over the last few, because there's been a lot of conversation about this, like just you know about the whole can these movies, these big tentpole blockbusters be released on streaming in 2020? You know, are we at that point yet? And one of the mm-hmm. points I saw brought up was that the biggest VOD event to date was I think a Manny Pacquiao fight. And mm-hmm. it brought in, I think, 400 or 500 million or something like that. And it was like $90, you know, per, you know, per, per household, yeah. you know, $90. Yeah. So yeah. for Wonder Woman, because Wonder Woman needs to make around, needs to make around eight or 900, you know, million to a billion. You know, they want this to be a billion dollar movie. And mm-hmm. so there's no way it just the math doesn't work out. First of all, nobody's paying $90 to see Wonder Woman. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't agree. care how much you want to see it. Agreed. And, you know, I shouldn't say nobody, somebody will, but not enough people are going to do that and for you to make that type of money. And so the numbers just aren't working out in their favor right now. We're not at that point of streaming where, you know, that's not our culture right now to stream blockbuster movies and to pay enormous amounts of money for it. So Understood. I think Understood. they, I, you know, I, I agree with you. August is to me very optimistic and it wouldn't surprise me if this movie gets pushed back into the holidays of uh, 2020. But I, I, this movie will be theatrically released. They cannot go to streaming. So, I disagree. I disagree. But I mean, that's it's that's 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 well documented. Because I mean, we've talked about it. We, because the movies that have that been released, too many presumptions that would need to be made. That well, if we just wait it out long enough, mm-hmm. you know, things will come back to normal, which doesn't exist anymore. The whole the whole the whole construct of normal is right now to be decided is just presumptuous that people are going to, going to come back to the movies. I mean, let's do it this way in the U S maybe mm-hmm. cause it's been really hard for us to even get our minds wrapped around right, to stay away from know. each other. Um, <laughs> but is that going to happen right. in, in China, China, they may not come out to a movie. Was that going to happen in Italy? Italy, they may not come back to the movie. They've been, they've been hit, Hard, no, hard, the hard. Thing about which, which is what New York is experiencing. So, so what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, to hit the billion dollar mark, mm-hmm. that's not domestic. That's global. That's global. So, I'm saying that the billion dollar mark is out the window. Now, I think it's about survivability of the property mm-hmm. and survivability on on some recoup mm-hmm. of investment. Well, the. The important thing you said, though, a minute ago, you said you said that we don't know at this point. Right. That was that was right. important. So we don't right. know either way. We don't know if the theatrical experience is going to come back like it was before or we don't mm-hmm. know if the theatrical experience is forever changed. We don't know either way right now. Absolutely. So That's right. for a movie studio, you I think that to go ahead and say, we well, you know what it's, you know, uh, May or April or May of 2020, let's just go ahead and throw it on streaming and we know we're going to take an enormous hit. It's too early for them to do that. 
I think it, if this if this situation is excuse me, if this situation is still existing in say November of 2020, then I think you say, okay, listen, we need to put this out on streaming for the holidays mm-hmm, and just recoup mm-hmm. what we can recoup. You know, we it's going mm-hmm. to be a loss, whatever. Mm-hmm. But in the summer of 2020, it's too early. Because, you know, the, the theater experience could come back. Listen, they're opening theaters again in China. They're starting to slowly open up small theaters in China. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just too early. And I will say that I think that for the American audience to get people back in a the theater, when, when and if the theaters reopen again, to get people back there, an emotional push is probably one of your safest um, or one of the things I could see a marketing team being like, yeah, we can really work with that. You know, if we can kind of go people to go back to the theater on an emotional level and Wonder yeah. Woman, the first Wonder Woman, you know, the reason one of the reasons is so successful is because it was the first, you know, female led superhero film. And there was a lot of emotion behind it, you know, take, you know, mm-hmm. take your daughters, take your nieces, take, you know, mm-hmm. you know, all the little girls need to see this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if they can do that again with this film, then I can see theaters being like, yeah, that's one of the films we want to come back with, you know, because we can see we can, you know, we can use that emotion to kind of go people into coming to see this movie. I know it sounds cold from a marketing perspective, but I'm just being realistic. This is how they think. So yeah. that's I could see that being a push. But to your point, it, it is early. It's, it's still it's still too early to call it, but I think it's too early to call it either way. Um, but I just, you know, the streaming thing, man, you talking about a six hundred million dollar hit. You know what I'm saying? If you go streaming <laughs> yeah. over over a theatrical, that's the, and that's a lot of people who ain't getting paper, who not getting their, their money. So I think that's the last you know, that's that's why they push Fast and Furious to twenty twenty one. They they could drop that on streaming and that has a a solid fan base, you know. Um, a lot of people would have paid for that movie, but not ninety dollars. All right. Well, let's 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 go to the next thing. Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep. But this this is a I think the you know that's a developing thing. That's an ongoing thing. So I think we'll continue mm-hmm. to talk about that because what's happening right now? What Universal did by putting Invisible Man and you know some of those other movies, uh, The Invisible Man, um, Hunt the Hunted or Hunter or whatever that film is that came out a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. By putting those by skipping you know or cutting the theatrical window severely short you know in the case of the invisible man and then with the hunted by just basically skipping that theatrical i think it was in theaters for like one week you know and then going straight mm-hmm. to vod that's that that changed the entire landscape you know to your point mm-hmm. that like that yeah. that effed everything yeah. up you know so it's like this is a new era so this is a story that's going to be continued to evolve so i think we're going to be talking about this a lot but okay all right yeah let's move on to the next mad thought yeah, um, there's been a push to find creative ways to support local businesses that have been uh, adversely affected, as we, as we all have, um, by the pandemic. Um, and one thing that, that uh, we didn't think about when we first talked about it was comic book stores. Yeah, this is, you know, all the small businesses. And I th- when you live in a city, you know, in a, I think for anybody who lives in a city like Chicago or New York or um, London or, you know, just a very urban city, you really kind of, you frequent a lot of small businesses. You know, you Mm -hmm. frequent a lot of smaller restaurants um, and places that you go to that aren't, you know, part of huge chains or the, as they call them, the big box stores, you know, you frequent a lot of smaller places. So I don't think, you know, I'm any different than a lot of the people I've seen a lot of small businesses that I frequent over the last, you know, couple of weeks um, suffering, you know, a lot of them have started, mm-hmm. you know, GoFundMe accounts, mm-hmm. um, to mm-hmm. help, you know, support their staff. 
um, while, you know, nobody is working. So, and these are people who not just, they're not living check to check, man. They're living day to day. They're living tip to tip, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's mm-hmm. how, that's how it is. And, um, that's been really difficult, um, for me. And I know for a lot of other people to watch, you know, people that you, um, frankly, you care about, you know, cause you see them so often and you, you know, you frequent their businesses so much that you develop a relationship. Yeah. Um, and amongst those, um, the comic book store. And like you said, this is not something I think a lot of people think about, but even for those of us in the, you know, the unreal community, if you didn't grow up, you know, on comics, um, excuse me, if you didn't grow up visiting a comic book store, then you may not understand. But I remember for me, you know, comic books were my entry point into the, you know, the unreal world, basically. Um, you know, I, there was movies at that time when I was younger, um, you know, a couple movies, you know, the super, I think Superman, um, the original mm-hmm. Superman film, Superman, the movie, that was the first like unreal film I saw in a theater. And I was, you know, extraordinary. I was very small. I can barely, only thing I remember is holding up my arms like I was flying, you know, and embarrassing mm-hmm. the hell out of my brother and my, my, my father. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> thing I remember. That experience. I, so I, I can't, I was, I was very, very, very young. Um, but comic book stores the first time I remember Arthur the first time I walked into a comic book store because I I was prior to that when I was buying comics you know I was at the grocery store you know what I'm saying with my mother right that's been my experience I I would go with my mother to the grocery store not to help her out but specifically so while she was doing the grocery shopping, I would be, you know, you're at the comic rack. I would position myself in the magazine aisle, looking at the magazines and the spinner rack. There's a spinner rack with the comic books and, you know, the magazines. And that's where I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I basically buy comics there. And, you know, there's a couple of drug stores or whatever they had, you know, Rite Aid or whatever that was back then that had comic books. But then, you know, I think I was probably maybe 10 or 11 years old when I, you know, discovered comic book stores. And the first mm-hmm. one I went to, I think it was Central City Comics in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, I remember going in and being <clears throat> I'm not I'm not being melodramatic at all when I said it. it was basically like walking into church. If you're a very spiritual person, you go into a church and you mm-hmm. feel that that was the feeling I had because it was like I was suddenly I was surrounded by everything that I loved. You know, all yeah. these yeah. characters, all these stories just. And back then it wasn't just, you know, this was during the, 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 um, the early eighties. So early to mid eighties. So it was like the high point of a lot of different type of publishing. So you had not just Marvel and DC, you had all the uh, independent publishers, um, Mm -hmm. and walking in a certain comic book stores, there was a, there was a bit of counterculture, you know, a counterculture feel. There was one comic book store I frequented called uh, monkey's retreat. Actually, I think it came out of, um, uh, the Bay Area. I think the owners came out of the Bay Area um, and somehow ended up in Columbus, Ohio and opened up this place called the Monkey's Retreat. It was on campus, on the Ohio State University campus. Okay. And uh, my father used to take me there like every other every other week. I would go there on Saturdays, I think. And it wasn't just comics. There was a, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there I probably didn't understand at that age. You know what I'm saying? There's probably, yeah. you know, some weed paraphernalia, so, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. I could I could sense that sense of, you know, counterculture and just kind of living outside of the norm. And to me, that's where comic books were at that time, because nobody, you know, nobody loved comic books or nobody. The mainstream did not love comics and the unreal like they do now. You know, it was it okay. was viewed a different way. We've, we've talked about that before. Everybody knows that. Um, so it was just a different it was a spiritual thing for me. And so now comic books, you know, comic book stores, this is direct sales we're talking about. So how they work 
for anyone who doesn't know, publisher like Marvel or DC creates the comics. They, there's one distributor called Diamond Distributor um, who basically has a corner on the market. They distribute to the comic book stores, the direct sales. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So between the comic book stores and the publishers like Marvel and DC and, you know, IDW and um, Boom and um, uh, all the, you know, all the ones in Portland in that area, between all mm-hmm. these comic book publishers, there's one distributor, Diamond Distributor. So a couple of weeks ago, you know, when cities like in, in Chicago, when it was, um, you know, the shutdown and it was basically only essential businesses could, you know, or, or I'm, excuse me, it was a shutdown where it was like, you know, the social distance shut down and essential businesses could uh, only essential businesses could stay open. Right. Uh, some comic book stores were doing the curbside pickup, you know, so it was like, yo, you call, you get your, you know, order your books on the phone or online, pull up, mm-hmm. they bring them out to you, you know, so, so comic book stores were um innovating they were adapting but then last week diamond distributors announced that they were shutting down for the time being so now mm-hmm. none of these comics are coming from the distributors there's no way to get any comics so the new comics that come comics get get dropped every wednesday basically so the okay. new comics that are supposed to come out this coming wednesday ain't coming out so now these comic book store owners they don't have anything to sell you know as far as new books you know they have their inventory but they don't have any new books okay. to sell and as I said, comic book stores were already struggling, like a lot of other people in the print industry. So mm-hmm. it's it's near and dear to my heart, and it's really you know they're struggling right now. And I think that listen, any of you that you know frequent comic book stores, obviously you know reach out to them, see how you can support them if you're in that position to support. You know, because obviously mm-hmm. a lot of us mm-hmm. are struggling as well. But if you are mm-hmm. in that position to support anybody, call your comic book store and see what's up. If you don't. So, you know, frequent comic book stores, even if you don't know of one in your area, find out, you know, Google it, see if there's one in your area. Reach out if you're able, if you're in a position to maybe they're selling gift cards. Um, maybe mm-hmm. they have a GoFundMe mm-hmm. account. Maybe you just want to order some graphic novels or something and just tell them, yo, just just ship them to me, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's important because everything we talk about, all these things that we talk about, you know, the movies, the film, the the, uh, the television shows. All these things, if they didn't start in comic books, the spirit of them started in comic books. You see what I'm yeah. saying? Marvel mm-hmm. in particular, you know, Marvel Studios in particular owes a supreme debt, you know, to comics and, in, and, in, in, you know, by <clears throat> proxy comic book stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and comic book stores are the ground zero for that, that type of that, that community. Um, so after this is all over, you know, will comic book stores... Um, will comics survive? I'm sure comics will survive in one way or the, the other, you know, even if it's digitally, but mm-hmm. which I hope, you know, that doesn't happen because I want, you know, I want my print comics. But the question is, where will comic book stores be, you know, and comic book stores are community. And um, I can't, you know, it's imagine like this because I know you don't frequent comic book stores, but imagine it like this. Do you want comic book stores to go the way of the record store? The record stores. And see, that's my near and dear. Mm-hmm. I can remember the first time I was in a record store and followed that same kind of trajectory as you're talking about. So, yeah. Yeah. And we've seen what's happened to record stores and we see the impact of that. You know, the lack mm-hmm. of that, even, you know, can online chatting ever replace, you know, the actually going and, you know, right. talking to the record store owner or being, you know, in the place where, you know, surrounded by all that product and touching and feeling it. There's nothing like it. 
and you even meet and greets because sometimes the authors and illustrators mm-hmm. would come to comic book stores right to sign musicians yeah you just exactly come to record stores yeah and then you'd actually get to meet them get a signed copy and just have that experience that communal experience yeah and it's and it's about discovery as well you know you discover a lot of new things that you don't even know listen mm-hmm. i i have <laughs> i still have like issue two three four and five i think of like teenage mutant ninja turtles like when it first came out like i think it was like 85 mm-hmm. or 86 or something And, you know, the only reason that happened was because I was in the comic book store and just happened to look. I was like, what is that? You know, and I just it just caught my eye. Um, And those are the type of things that you miss out on. And or, you know, when you you know, you're there and, you know, the guy who runs the store, he knows you. He knows what you like. And he's like, yo, you need to check this out. You know, this is something that's hot or whatever. Those type Mm -hmm. of things, you know, yeah, you can get recommended things online, whatever, by some algorithm. But we are, you know, as human beings, we're social animals and that, that feeling of being, you know, in that community and, and, you know, talking to people that share your interests, um, you can't, you can't replace that. So yeah, I just want to take a little, a moment to go ahead and make that plea as far as if any of you guys listening are in that position to help out, help out your local comic book store. If you don't know where it is, look it up, you know, go online, Google, there's a place online that has like a, record of like every you know it's like a, uh, the bible of comic book stores and it'll it'll direct you to anyone that's in your neighborhood but mm-hmm. uh, or in your area but do that and um support because it's it's important to all these things that we talk about on this show it's very important all right um last but not least something else that's uh near and dear to isaac's heart oh um, yeah we got like, as we do we got a costanza this we're going out on i see we put the plea in the middle and now we're going out on a real high note on this one, this one. yeah go <laughs> right ahead. right so there's a rumor that uh charlie cox um who plays uh daredevil matt murdoch on from the netflix the canceled netflix series uh, which is very good so if you've never seen daredevil on netflix uh two three seasons there's of daredevil on netflix uh, right there's three seasons if you've never seen it i don't know what you're doing um you need to pit pause <laughs> <laughs> go yeah. go watch and then come back in about you know eight nine hours and uh listen to yeah. the rest of this yeah longer than that and though. Yeah, so three seasons. this rumors uh the room is actually attributed to kevin smith the um the writer and director uh who's saying that daredevil will appear in spider-man 3 the mcu spider-man 3 and that will be the first foray from the television Marvel Studios properties to the film mm. Marvel Studio properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kevin said, Kevin Smith said, this is, he said, I can't confirm it. You know, it's just a rumor I heard. Um, so he has a lot of us, or whoever is who started this rumor has a lot of us very excited because what, if you look at what's happening right now with the MCU and Disney Plus, they are, you know, they've, they're linking their streaming you know, um, universe with the shows that they're launching this, this fall, uh, Falcon, the Falcon and the winter soldier will be the first one. Um, right. but that, you know, WandaVision, um, Loki, all of these things are going to be, you know, considered part and parcel of the greater MCU. So it won't be that whole dividing line between streaming service and, you know, the cinematic release, um, like they did with the Netflix series. So if this is true, this could mean if, you know, first of all, is he showing up in Spider-Man? Let's look at it like this. Is he mm-hmm. showing up in Spider-Man as Matt Murdock 
you know, because at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, remember Spider-Man got his he got put on Front Street. His whole identity was blown um, right by J. Jonah Jameson. So does, you know, Spider-Man seek out legal counsel and somehow ends up in the, the offices of Nelson and Murdoch? <laughs> right. You know, that's it's happened in the comics. So I mm-hmm. can see that happening, you know, in the films. That would make sense. Or and or is Daredevil himself going to show up? You know, is is, is Daredevil going to show up in the film and mm-hmm. post credits or something like that? And does that mean are we looking at a, you know, a lead up to a theatrical Daredevil release or are they rebooting the series, the television series and either dropping it on Disney Plus, which I can't see because it would unless they're going to, you know, it's not going to be as profane as it was. Um, mm-hmm. It was violent as it was, or they go and drop it on Hulu, you know, and and start the okay. restart them the Netflix Marvel universe, but do it on Hulu. So it'll be the Hulu Marvel universe with Daredevil, Jessica Jones, you know, Luke Cage. Well, let me ask you, why can't you see it? Like, why can't you see Daredevil on Disney Plus? Is it because of I can't the see Disney part of it, yeah. or is it because of the Marvel part of it? I can't see Disney because even the most, even with the Mandalorian. Um, being hyper violent to a degree, um, yeah. it's violent. The Mandalorian is violent. The Clone Wars are violent. Um, Avengers is violent. Avengers is violent. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, those are hyper violent shows. Um, mm-hmm. I cannot see that on a Disney Plus. Not with that. I can't see unless they're going to create some sort of other category for like you know log in here. You know you got to put in a special code so we can make sure that you're an adult. Mm-hmm. You know I, I can't see them, and I think it will fit better on Hulu. You know Hulu feels more grown up. You know um, mm-hmm. for that type mm-hmm. of content. So I and, you know and Disney owns a large stake of that. So I I think it would be better suited there. But I don't know. Do they is do we want to do we want another Daredevil series? It makes sense that they would lead with Daredevil because that was the most popular show. Um, of the Marvel Netflix shows. Right. It was the most consistent, in my opinion, in quality, even though I had issues with season two and season three. Um, but it was more consistent than Jessica Jones, in my opinion, um, even though season one of Jessica Jones, is, I think, was virtually perfect. Um, the, the subsequent seasons were not. Um, and then Luke Cage and Iron Fist. We'll talk about that some other time. But it makes sense they leave with Daredevil. But do you want mm-hmm. let me ask you, do you want to see Daredevil the next iteration of Daredevil in cinematic release, or would you rather the series come back? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I'd have to say film. And why? I think that, uh, I think that film gives Daredevil more options. Um, which is a little ironic because in a lot of ways I think I think episodic television gives you more options than film do. Mm-hmm. But um I think that a filmatic Daredevil uh would yield a larger budget, would call for a larger budget. Mm-hmm. Um and um maybe have a have a good you know, because because Tony because Tony Stark is no more. There's no more Iron Man films mm-hmm. there presumably aren't going to be any more avengers films certainly not on the scale of what we've seen right you know um not anytime soon marvel yeah not even time soon marvel studios needs needs some headliners mm. that's a good point for their films that's a good point and i think and i think um with an introduction in spider-man 3 of daredevil 
because not a lot of people would have seen Daredevil given the nature of the television shows as you as you well described them to be hyper violent mm-hmm. you know um maybe the maybe they're 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 toned down a, a bit mm-hmm. brings in a wider audience and um becomes a becomes a top tier property yeah i mean phase them, four. them putting him them if this again <laughs> i guess we got to keep saying if this is true if this is yeah. true bringing daredevil into the larger mcu via Mm spider-man i like it from the sense that it makes sense in from a old school comic book way because they've always had a connection you know they were you know more of a neighborhood heroes as opposed to the thors and you know the iron man and all these other the iron man and all these other ones Mm -hmm. so it makes sense in that that degree it does kind of worry me because Spider-Man is in tone is, I mean, the exact is on the other end of the spectrum compared to the Daredevil televisions, you know, the, the Netflix series, it's just completely different right. tone. So it does like, Hmm, are they going to try to make him, you know, make Daredevil fit into the Spider-Man world? Or is it just going to be Matt Murdock showing up for a minute? And it's like, Hey, when Daredevil has his own standalone thing, it'll be back to that tone that we had in Netflix mm-hmm. series. Because I, I, it's hard. I don't think mm-hmm. you can walk away, particularly the tone in the first season of Daredevil. I don't think you can walk away from that and just completely revamp it, especially if you're going to use Charlie Cox. You know, because when we see right. Charlie Cox, we, 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 that's our you're Daredevil. associating him with. Right. That's our guy. Yeah. That's our Daredevil. Yeah. So and but to your point. I don't know. I kind of I want him. Part of me wants him to get the theatrical, the big cinema, you know, you know, experience, because mm-hmm. the one that they did mm-hmm. with Ben Affleck back in the day, I thought was God awful. So for them to, you know, I want them to put that I want Daredevil to get that kind of love, you know. OK. Right. But from a storytelling standpoint, again, going back to season one of Daredevil, which is my favorite of all the Marvel Netflix seasons. I would, I would hands down want that more than I would want a movie. You know what I'm saying? I would mm-hmm. want to get 10 episodes, 10 to 12, just tight episodes, noirish, you know, straight. I don't know if you'll ever, well, okay. I mean, you could get the noirish, you can get the thematic, but I mean, I don't know. This is really presumptuous, but it's like, I almost, I don't think you're going to be able to get the quality of story that you want because in season one, a lot of the quality of story had to do with Matt's, development into daredevil mm-hmm. yes his yes. his journey right his journey is what gave you gave you the the emotional impact yeah so if i would if i if they do another season what i would want to see is the kind of the frank miller um opposite of that which is basically his his descent you know out of being daredevil um, mm, with, you know, the, okay, the inverse. Right, the inverse. Uh-huh. That's that's what I would want to see, and they kind of did that a little bit in season three. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to see that. I want to see the real. You know, okay, uh, Kingpin finds out. Kingpin found out his identity. And spoiler alert. I'm sorry. We should have said that before. <laughs> spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen Daredevil on Netflix. Um, again, like I said, pause and go watch that, and then come back to this. Um, but spoiler alert for anybody who has not seen any of the Daredevil seasons on Netflix. Um, we do find out in season three, you know, Kingpin does, you know, learn his identity, but it was kind of the way they did it. I'm like, eh, I wish they would have done it more as they, you know, the Frank Miller classic, um, you know, uh, iconic arc did where Kingpin finds out his identity and basically destroys Matt, you know, little by little takes everything away from him. 
um, mm-hmm. to the point where he it almost drives him mad. That's what I want to see. So if they can yeah, figure okay. out a way to do that, I would much rather see that over 10, 12 episodes than a film, you know, because films are so, mm-hmm. you know, you get, I mean, listen, the arc of Captain America in, you know, this, this, you know, the first four, three, three phases or four phases of the MCU was one of my favorite arcs, character arcs. And that caught mm-hmm. me completely off guard because I'm not a Captain America fan, but mm-hmm from his first film to you know on through winter soldier civil war the avengers films all the way up through endgame yeah they were able to tell a very compelling story you know a character arc you know you were able to see Mm -hmm. it it was very compelling um but it's harder to do that you know to me man it's like yeah in films it's much more difficult to do that and even it still leaves you wanting a little bit i'll give you an example Mm -hmm. really quickly good example michael corleone we saw yeah. in two movies. Yeah. Godfather one, Godfather two. We saw a huge character arc. You know what I'm saying? We yes. saw him go from not naive, but you know, kind of the, the more naive person in the family, as far as mm-hmm. keeping away from the family business, uh, going off and, you know, joining the, the, the military fighting the war, you know, doing everything right. he could. He was the gold. He was the golden child. Right. He was the only one that was going to lead the family out. He, well, he was the one that wanted to have nothing to do with that, with the family business, you know, and at the beginning mm-hmm. and, right. you know, ironically, he was also the one who was the most like his father. You know, he was, he was the one mm-hmm. that was most like Don Corleone. But then we saw that, you know, all the way progressing, you know, again, his character arc and and brought us to the point where we saw him, you know, murder his own brother, you know, at the end of. Right. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Godfather 2. Hey, listen, we promised we would get spoilers. So we a little late with them. But, yo, if you ain't seen Godfather 2 again, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) But. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we saw that, you know, in two movies. But that was like a feat of like incredible writing, incredible filmmaking. You know, it's like that doesn't happen too often. Right. So I say all that to say that with Matt Murdock his he has so many great story arcs and so much you know layered you know narrative that i would mm-hmm. rather see that mm-hmm. i think in a television series a streaming series which you know streaming series can be cinematic as well i think the first season of daredevil was had a cinematic feel to it um i would rather see that so but let's you know okay. bottom line man let's hope this rumor is true it's it's long right. long over i, I want to see that give the people yo kevin feige marvel give the people what they want this is a time to get this is an instance where you should give the people what they want. I know there's contract, you know, stipulations and Netflix may still own the character or Charlie Cox can't play the character till whatever. Figure all that shit out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And give us what we want. We don't want to see anybody else's Daredevil. We want Daredevil and Charlie Cox owns that role. He was the perfect Daredevil, perfect Matt Murdock. Um, just as, and yo, let me ask you, do you want to see if this is true? Would you mm. like to see? Because I can't remember if you were a Jessica Jones fans or not fan or not. I was okay, yeah, okay. Because I, I mean that, like I said, the first season Jessica Jones I think was virtually flawless. Yeah. Um, would you like to see Jessica Jones follow suit? Do you want to see her brought back? And I'm not talking about just the character. I'm talking about Kristen. Well, Ritter, I don't know. Now that's no, no, she's a little different. She's a little different. I mean, I mean, I think I I, I think her story is better told uh, episodically. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see her in the, you know, she's like, she's like Wanda. Maximoff. You know what I mean? 
Huh? Some other Scarlet Witch. Yeah, she's like yeah, she's like Scarlet Witch, mm-hmm. where she's like kind of like a B character. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, she's good to have on the team, <laughs> and her, and, but but she's not gonna carry like the movie. Right, right. She's not not well. Mm, I don't know, man. Jessica, I can I, listen. Bottom, I mean, you know, bottom line, you get the right writers and the right filmmakers. You can do, you know, you can do whatever you want, and make a great movie out of anything. But I, I could really, you know, I, I'm with you. I'd rather see Jessica episodic because her that, you know, I think as a noir thriller crime mystery story is better. Yeah. Episodically. But I could see her being in a really, really great, you know, noir crime mystery movie. You know, Jessica Jones. I could see that. Um, and I, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that it's that it's not possible. But I mean, what I am saying is that where we are, where we are in phase four, you know, this is the bench. You know, the starters are done. <laughs> we they need played three we, and a half quarters of basketball. To new starters, though, that's the point. I'm with you. I'm with you. But still, because we, but still. we can't just depend upon <laughs> Spider-Man and Thor. We gotta get new starters. We we you know. I'm 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 totally with you. Right. You know. So I mean, we're kind of like you know we're we're not we're not completely rebuilding the team mm-hmm. so much as you know we we got to we got to give the bench time mm-hmm. so that they can develop into starters. That's where we are right now. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put I'll I'll leave it at this though. If you and I don't know if Jessica Jones, who's a you know I don't know if Jessica Jones fits cinematically that way Mm -hmm. well i'll leave it at this if you'd have told me and matter of fact when i first saw the first trailer the first not not even trailer the first like um teaser for the jessica jones uh marvel Mm -hmm. netflix series yeah before season one and it was just her i think she was in bed and her alarm went off in the morning she reached over and hit it and crushed it of course and that was it like yeah and I was like, right. uh, I don't know if Jessica Jones is going to make a good, you know, is that enough? Is she enough to make a good series out of? Uh-huh. And it was, uh-huh. it was, in, you know, the first season was incredible. So I think that yeah. I'm with you, but I'm like, I still feel like she don't, don't count her out. Like she could become a starter. She could become a starter real quick. I think so. You know what, man? She, Jessica Jones is less Avenger, more X-Men. I mean, she's low key a mutant. Yeah. But okay. But do all do all the new starters need to be eventually on that Avengers team? Because Blade is not going to be an Avenger. At least I don't think he's going to be. Um, you know, it's like it, we, but we're dealing with but we're dealing with Avenger related characters. But they may that was that was the Spider Man, Thor, T'Challa. We're dealing with Avenger related characters. That was the first ten years. Now this next ten years, it may not just be Avengers characters. You may have some Avengers characters. Then you also yeah. have the Eternals. Then you also gonna have mm-hmm. X Men. You know what I'm saying? So it's like mm-hmm. we ain't mm-hmm. all gotta be on you know that team. And, and Jessica has more of a, in the comics. I believe she has more of an affiliation with the Avengers than anybody else. But I want to see that world of Daredevil, um, Jessica Jones, Black Widow to an extent. Because listen, before they blew her up with you know in the Avengers and everything in the comics, she was affiliated. She has some affiliation with Daredevil. Yeah. I want to see those street level, you know, cats become starters mm-hmm. as well. Um, All right. So we'll see. We'll see. But fingers crossed that we, the we, rumor yeah, is true. We're going to see. Fingers crossed that the rumor is true. True. All right. I hope, it's, I hope it happens. All right. Moving on. Moving away from comics and moving into outer space. Um, we have talked on this show extensively uh, about Star Wars and uh, the race issues, the problem with race that Star Wars uh, the the narrative as well as the character portrayals um, has had. 
and so, you know, we want to do uh, a deep dive um, into race in Star Wars, um, you know, in an ongoing fashion. So this is going to be part one of race in Star Wars. Until we get a better name, <laughs> right? And I think I think it's important for the umbrella that, topic of race and Star Wars, right? I think it's important to but, point out um, that it's not just about the issues; it's just about sometimes it's about the representation, whether or not that representation is mm-hmm. intentional or you know overt or whatever. Um, to kind of point those things out and be like, hmm, you know, that's where did that come from, or maybe that came from here, or you know, it's kind of to look a little deeper. Um, but yeah, I think since we touch on this so so often, I think, yeah, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. So this is going to be a, um, an ongoing examination that we do on mad unreal. All right. So getting to it. Um, another rumor, it is rumored that Rosario Dawson, the night nurse from (laughs) Daredevil, uh, that she's rumored to portray Osaka, my God, how can I mess up Ahsoka's name? Right, <laughs> right. Oh, sacrilege. Sacrilege. Wow. Dave Filoni. Rosario Dawson is rumored to play Ahsoka Tano in season two of The Mandalorian. So now this would be the first live action portrayal of Ahsoka. Mm. Let me, oh, She's con- let me. Rosario's confirmed to be on board season two of The Mandalorian, but it's not confirmed that she's going to portray Ahsoka but there's so many rumors and reports from from um, trusted and diverse mm-hmm. sources that it's, it's safe enough to assume that she's going to do it to talk about it. Right. Yeah. At this point, it'd be a huge disappointment if she didn't. But let me ask you this very quickly. Did you need a live action version of Ahsoka? No. Okay. We're in the same. Camp. I didn't want. I didn't. I did. I did not, and, and do not want a live action. Yeah, we're in the Ahsoka. same. Camp. I, I think that we are the minority because we. I think a lot of people have been asking for this. Yeah, I'm in that camp where I feel. Almost, I, you know, I think I've mentioned this before on the show. I feel fortunate in the sense that I don't regard uh, anime um, or animation in mm-hmm. a lesser degree than I regard live action. And yeah. Ahsoka is a character in particular amongst many characters. That I feel I don't want to see her live. She exists to me in anime mm-hmm. and it's, and it's good. And it's like, it, you almost, it almost brings her. And again, I'm you know, I'm saying this without having seen, you know, obviously Ahsoka in live action. Um, and this isn't the case. I'm not saying I never, you know, every time I see a, a anime character who a character who originated in anime, every time I see them in live action, that is mm-hmm. a, you know, a step down. I'm not saying that at all, but there are characters who I feel like, you know what? I'm a thousand percent cool with that character remaining anime. Like I don't want to see that character live action. And Ahsoka is one of those, um, especially yeah. after seeing her in Rebels, you know? Um, and again, spoilers, we're going to get into spoilers, I think probably for maybe for Mandalorian, but definitely for Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, but after seeing her in Rebels, I seeing her you know grow she was a woman you know what i'm saying it's like we met her as, yes. as a i think a 14 or 15 year old kid so by the time we get to rebels she's a grown woman and it's like i don't i don't need to see her in live action i've seen you know everything i need to see here so i'm with you on that yeah um the uh well before i get to that you know we know that uh 
Star Wars exists outside the real world and re- real world racial constructs and um, institutionalized racism. Um, the series, the Clone Wars animated series, and also Star Wars Rebels to a degree, to a lesser degree, uh, the series continues to be influenced by real world um, race and cultures. And sometimes when I watch, let me ask you, because sometimes when I watch Clone Wars, and it, it, it almost seems like there's a presumption that alien races are the minority, mm. and it is a um, it's 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 a um, a playing out of what what happens in in the real world mm. between classes and cultures mm. that those play out in Star Wars, and sometimes they're done well. And we've we've talked about the clones extensively, right? With that, and sometimes they're, you know, pretty effed up, mm-hmm. like Jar Jar Binks, right? Or that dude. Uh, I think a fan of Menace, uh, Lucas got the, a lot of flack from what, who, what was the character who was, I think the, I know you're talking about, right? He was the, from the uh, from the Trade Federation. Was he a? I think he was a slaver. Or something. He was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The one I forget the character's name, but the one that owned Anakin, right, and his mother, right. I think yeah. yeah there's a lot of uh, there's some controversy around that because it was, it was, it was, it was assumed that Lucas was modeling him after I don't know if it was a Hispanic or something, but I just remember at the time there was some some pushback on that. So yeah, to your point, yes, yeah, it's, it's been negative at times. And I mean, the reason that you know the the reason that I'm kind of bringing that up is because. The voice actress who who voices the actress who voices Ahsoka and who has voiced Ahsoka mm-hmm. ever since the Clone Wars animated film that preceded the television show. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley Eckstein. Yes, mm-hmm. Ashley Eckstein. Mm-hmm. Um, she was. You know, I I don't even know if I can say that she was passed over. I don't believe she was even you know invited. To assume the role, she was uh, not in the Mandalorian. She was not. She was not. And she she went on Inst- I think Instagram last week <clears throat> and confirmed the fact that she has no knowledge of whether or not Rosario is playing the character because she's not involved at all. And basically, she's like nobody's talking has talked to me about anything. Right. Yeah. And so there's been there's been some some um, public backlash about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which I kind of understand. And I just w- I wonder if. As I sometimes see the alien characters as as um, subs for ethnic, actual, real world people, mm-hmm. do is do you think the populace does that as well? I think because I mean, so far it hasn't. So far it hasn't that I've seen devolved into into a racial thing. Like for example, Rosario got 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 the role because of affirmative action or something like that. Like Rosario's not qualified, right? You know what I mean to do this role. I think which I vehemently disagree with. Right. I mean, she made lobby. She lobbied for it. She wanted this role. She talked about it years ago. You know, she's a she's a mm-hmm. she's a Ahsoka stan, and she was like, you know, I, I want that to do that. So. I think, though, to answer your question, I think for people like me and you and I, I think for more I think for people of color, they're probably more apt to look at Star Wars and notice their culture being mm-hmm. represented in different ways. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka, for example, 
Ashley Eckstein, who, you know, it's going to be hard to ever hear anybody else's voice come out of Ahsoka. You know what I'm saying? Because Ashley Eckstein, right. that she owns that voice. Right. You know, that's, that's Ahsoka's right. voice. That's the real voice of Ahsoka. But Ahsoka's features, her facial features, especially when she was younger, you know, are mm-hmm. definitely more so in line with a person of African descent. A person of color, mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the full lips, the the the, uh, the cheekbones, her face, just her everything about her looks, the rounded nostrils, the rounded nostrils, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so when you look at her to have Ashley Eckstein or any other non person of color play her with mm-hmm. features that don't look like that, that would look mm-hmm. very odd to me. Um, it, it it should be noted that the older Ahsoka in Clone Wars. I notice her lips are not. You mean rebels? I mean, yeah, and rebels. Excuse me. Yeah, uh-huh. I noticed that they they thinned her lips a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not this was an intentional move to get away from some of the the more um, African centered, you know, uh, features, I don't know. Um, yeah, but she still has more of a, you know, if I had to see even the older Ahsoka still has more she looks more like a person of color and not just because of her skin is actually of a color but i'm just talking about her features um look like real world you know somebody who is either um directly of african descent or maybe has mixed blood whatever um yeah you know african african-american latino whatever um she has those that appeal so it would be difficult to see you know an ashley Eckstein or someone else um, who doesn't share those features that would look odd to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I, but to answer your question, I don't think a lot of people put thought into it. I think people, people of color, cause we're sensitive to that. We're sensitive mm-hmm. to our representation on film and TV. Yeah. We're looking for our representation. We're looking for the authenticity of our representation. So when mm-hmm. a character like Ahsoka appears and her name is Ahsoka, which sounds like a little black girl's name, you know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. I think she was named originally, I think Lucas named her, um, Ash Oka or something like that after some Indian um, uh, 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 historical ruler. Um, I have to look that up to get that to get that right. But she comes from the naming and the, you know, kind of the iconography of her look. Um, You know, you can tell it comes from a place, uh, a place of color, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're sensitive to that. And so for us, we're looking for those things. And so to suddenly see a white actor playing her, I think that we would have been like, hmm, something looks off here. Something's not right. Yeah, something's not right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I, I wonder if this is more visceral, the reaction is more visceral from animation to film than the reverse. Because it wasn't, it wasn't jarring to me that Ewan McGregor doesn't voice Obi-Wan mm. or that Hayden Christensen doesn't voice Anakin mm-hmm. or that Samuel L. Jackson, you know, doesn't voice Mace Windu. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's no, you know, what the hell. But if they would have had, it would have been jarring to you. I think if you would have saw Ewan McGregor, you know, first as Anakin or as a Obi-Wan, then Clone Wars comes out and the character of you of, of Obi-Wan in Clone Wars has skin, maybe your complexion, you know, a light skin, mm-hmm. but has features like yours. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and clearly, clearly features so that. The visual is more important. The visual right. trumps trumps the voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like the voice. You can kind of it's it's, and that's why I say it's going to be weird to hear Rosario's voice come out of Ahsoka. Sure. Rosario sure. has, for lack of a better term, Rosario has flavor. You know what I'm saying? Her voice mm-hmm. carries her culture. Um, mm-hmm. She does not have a mm-hmm. 
um, Euro, you know, European, European American voice. You know, her voice carries her her culture that you know Rosario comes from. It always has. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be strange to hear. But I think the opposite would be the truth too. If you heard Samuel Jackson's character of Mace Windu, if you saw the Clone Wars, and I forgot the brother's name who who, uh, who voices him on Clone Wars, a, a pretty famous actor, um, television actor. Um, but if you would have saw, you know, Mace Windu on Clone Wars voiced by, you know, say the same actor who voices Anakin, you know, you're going to be like, wait a minute, that, that don't sound nothing like Samuel. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that don't have, mm-hmm. that doesn't mm-hmm. sound like Mace Windu, you know? So I, I could see the argument being made for voice as well. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how they work that on the Mandalorian with Rosario. They may just completely ignore it and be like, we're not even going to try to make her sound like Ashley Eckstein. You know what I'm saying? She's just going to sound completely yeah. different. Yeah. Well, I think that would, I mean, I do think that would be a mistake because then I just think it would be a mistake because it, 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 it takes away from what Rosario would ultimately bring to the role mm. Mm. to me. Mm. Interesting. So that this, I think this again but, is but, but, going to be something developing. I mean, especially when they confirm it, when you know Lucasfilm comes out and says, "Okay, yeah, she's playing Ahsoka," um, that'll be you know this will evolve a little bit more, and we'll probably get a little bit more information. But I think some fans, you know, are upset that Ashley Eckstein is not playing her. But for me, yeah, and you know, I saw listen, I saw um, our guy Mark Fernandez on uh, uh, Collider's Rule of Two about a year ago um, when I think there's a rumor about this happening. And mm-hmm. he was one of the few people I saw said, yeah, Soka needs to be played by, you know, a woman of color. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because mm-hmm. Mark Fernandez come, you know, he's 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 Latin, you know, so he understands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's looking for those representations, maybe in the same way we are. But, yeah, um, I think that for a lot of people who aren't looking for that, they were like, no, you know, Ashley should be playing. Ever. And also, it's not just about race, man. I think Ashley Eckstein, from what I understand, you know, she's obviously she's not the name that Rosario Dawson is, you know, from a from well, sure, yeah. So it's not true. just about race. But even before that, and I mean, this is no again, this is this is no slight because because when I heard about this about Rosario taking the role, the first thing I thought about was the voice mm. that she's not going to sound like Ahsoka, mm. you know, and that and that uh, and that Ashley's. Uh, um, work to get that voice is just that that she's Ahsoka mm-hmm. to me, you know. So something would be off, right? That I would have to that I would have to you know recalibrate my mind to 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 accept, right? Um, but it could honestly be that Ashley could not carry the role visually, right? Rosario has television experience; she's got Marvel experience. Film. She's got film experience yeah. and and film acting is very different than television acting, you know, so there's certain disciplines that Rosario has that Ashley may not have. Ashley's appeared in a few television shows, a lot of this, that's so Ravens when she was younger and some, right. you know, you know, what I mean? yeah, she's not, she doesn't she have that same kind of stature. Like, yeah, she's not, again, she yeah. doesn't carry that weight that Rosario does. So, yeah. And conversely, Rosario may not. I think Sir Rosario has done some voice work, but I'm, but you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, just because, just because you can act, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that you're going to kill it in a commercial or a two hour film. Right. Just doesn't, it does, a, it, there's one doesn't lead to the other inherently. Now let me ask you this though. What if, cause you know, we, there's the other rumor is that the next animated star Wars show, Filoni's animus mm-hmm. is going to drop this fall. Um, I guess we'll find out this summer. Hope, well, I don't know shit. Uh, 
Star Wars celebration has probably been canceled like everything else this summer. So maybe they'll just announce it this summer. But anyway, there's the rumor that that's going to happen. And if that does happen, the rumor is that, you know, it's going to be Ahsoka is going to be a part of that. So Mm -hmm. will it make it difficult to see Ahsoka live action? um, Rosario Dawson, Rosario Dawson's voice. And then to switch back, you know, to Rosario or to Ahsoka um, anime and it's, yeah. you know, Ashley Eckstein's for, you know what I'm saying? Is that going to be difficult or is that something that I don't know? It may be difficult at first to kind of get with. Yeah, I, I think it could be difficult at first, but your brain will be able to separate the two out. Mm. Just like we separate Ewan McGregor as live action Obi-Wan and uh, I'm, I forget the actor's name and the voice is Obi-Wan on the show, on the animated series. Right, but there's some attempt, I think, for them to mirror, like, the uh, you know, the actor who plays Mace Windu um, animated. Mm, okay, is, that's fair. There is that's some fair. attempt to, like, at least sound, you know, Yeah, it's not yeah, leagues different. Like I, I get right, you. Right, so that'll be interesting. So, okay, what's, okay, so within this whole, this, I think this leads us perfectly into the next thing we want to talk about um, looking at race and Star Wars for this episode. So what's, how did that, what's the segue into this next subject? Um, gosh, what would be the, gosh, what would be the segue? I can't think of anything, uh, well, cute I'll, or clever. I'll say, I'll, I'll just can't say clever, but I'll just say Ahsoka is the link, you know, between these two things. <laughs> okay. She's the That's segue. true. That's true. It is the first time. Yep. 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 And she, you know, looking, okay. So yeah, we wanted to dive into these first, um, or the, the, the most recent two episodes of the Clone Wars animated series. Um, Gone with the Trace and Deal No Deal, which brings us to the beginning of Ahsoka's arc within this season seven of Clone Wars. And most importantly, this is the first time we see we get to see Ahsoka after she leaves the Jedi Order. Right. Um, and where does she go? She goes to section she, 1313. Which Arthur? One she plus goes to the hood. One plus three <laughs> plus one plus three is eight. So she went to section <laughs> eight. <bro. laughs> Was that right. intentional? I don't know if they, Filoni and I don't know what they're doing over there, but I'm just saying. That certainly I, is clever. I don't do math, but, yeah. but I did add those numbers up. <laughs> that's section eight. That's all I'm she saying. Went to section eight. So she, she went, went to, to section eight of Corsa and literally, literally, actually, I mm-hmm. should say, descended. Like went down. Like, you know, she on did. a speeder bike. Went down. Went from on high. Went from up top right. to down below. Upper class to low class mm-hmm. to lower class, which was very very interesting to me. And there she meets the Mar- the Martez sisters, Trace and Rafa. Rafa, who you know we would in in the real world refer to as Latinas. Yeah. So it's the first introduction. Well, not the first introduction because you had uh, you had uh, Senator Organa played by Jimmy Smith, mm-hmm. um, but. It's pretty overt this in the. In, this is overt. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty overt. <laughs> this is overt, yeah. especially with my girl Rafa, who is quickly becoming. I mean, listen. Let's take a step back and first of all give Clone Wars credit because they are doing. I don't want to get into a you know mm-hmm. talking negatively about the um, the sequel trilogy at all. Um, but right. I will say for me personally, one of the things lacking from the sequel trilogy was the the introduction of characters that really made me care about them. And really, I thought felt um, mm-hmm. authentic and, you know, interesting. And yeah. I got to give Clone Wars credit, man, because in the first arc with, you know, Echo and now here yep. with the Martez sisters, Trace and Rafa, yep. 
I'm almost in that, you know, within minutes, I'm like in interested in these characters. Um, sure. And like I said, sure. Rafa has become like, that's my rock. Rafa is messed up as she is. Like, that's my girl. Like she's, she's, she's just, she's cool to me. Um, yeah. And this is just what you can do. And this is what you can do when you're not saddled with marketing and creating a, a, a you know, a furry character and something cute, mm, you know, mm, that's a good um, point. Um, and I mean, to the credit of John Favreau, even even though Baby Yoda is is everything I just said that it <laughs> right, was king of all that, it was done correctly. <laughs> right. You know, Baby Yoda is not an Ewok. He's not a Porg. Right. You know, and he's he's imp- not he's a lovable actually, droid. He's actually important to the story. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So okay, so let me ask you, man. Did um, looking at just look okay, looking at both of these episodes. So do you feel, you know, and I, we've kind of already commented on this, but do you feel like that her Ahsoka's descent into Section 1313, a.k.a. Section 8, do you think that that's, they, that was an, an overt, overt attempt at an allegory for, you know, real world like class and socioeconomic, you know, um, struggles? Was that like a, it was like, we're not trying to be subtle about this. We're going to be very overt about this. She just went down to the lower classes. I, yeah, I do. I absolutely do. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is in the DNA of the Star Wars film. Um, you know, Luke, for all intents and purposes, was from the country. He wasn't from society. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Yoda, when he went into exile in Dagobah, I mean, he went to you know, squalor, <laughs> basically. You know what I'm saying? It's like... <laughs> right. You don't have to go that hard, Yoda. Like, yeah. <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, tail. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm. Um, so I think that I, I like I like how I like how the introduction of the Martez sisters and the reintroduction of Ahsoka into the series um, starts off, um, you know, from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and is is an allegory for Ahsoka's fall. Mm-hmm. You know, from the grace of the Jedi Order to just being, you know, just like a regular person who who really has to learn about who she is now mm-hmm. you, because she's got no guide. Do you think that? Because okay, do you think that it is? Do they run any risk of the people that she's that Ahsoka encounters are obviously um, Latinx? You know, that's. It was well meaning, meaning risk meaning when I say risk meaning I could easily see if the if the story is not handled right they yeah. can easily get some pushback but like, okay why they gotta be why they gotta be Latinos or why they gotta be black you know that's living down there you know what I'm saying it's like right. what are y'all trying to say you know there could be some pushback but I don't think they're I think it's appropriate in the because of the way they handled the story but I wanted to ask you that do you think it was appropriate the way they handled the story in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so far so good. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think showing this dynamic of two humans and Ahsoka, and I, I gosh, I forget what Ahsoka's uh, uh, race is, for lack of a better word. But I, I, I think that the portrayal of the sisters mm-hmm. as humans um, is appropriate because. There's so many aliens in Star Wars in the in the Star Wars universe mm-hmm. that are really real abstractions for humans. Mm-hmm. It's it's good to kind of get closer to the metal. Focus on when, human when, when telling these stories. Right. Yeah. 
in in the relationship between 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 the two sisters. There's two lines in particular because again, when I when they were first when she when Ahsoka first lands, and Trace appears, mm-hmm. and immediately because just you know just to hark back to what we just said a few minutes ago about us as people of color being sensitive and kind of looking for representation, I immediately mm-hmm. knew she was you know a person of color. I immediately oh she's she's going to be you know the quote unquote Latinx character you know, in this, in this arc, um, even though that, you know, in this unit or in that galaxy or in this, 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 uh, star Wars universe, um, yeah. Latinx doesn't necessarily exist, but that's the allegory here. That's the, that's the mm-hmm. metaphor, if you will. I knew that immediately, but then there's a couple of things that they said that started to make this feel like, Hmm, this is starting to feel appropriate. Like they're really trying to make some, you know, say something here. And one of the things is that, um, Trace refers to the Jedi as police. She says, yeah. you know, they're up there policing things. That was her mm-hmm. term. And I was like, oh, and shit. They, and that they started the war. They started the war. And it made yeah. me think of that one scene. I think it was in Attack of the Clones. I can't remember exactly what the, the function of the scene was because I haven't seen Attack of the Clones in a long time. But you remember when uh, it was Obi-Wan and Anakin, I can't remember who else, were in a bar and they're talking to somebody and somebody else rolls up and, you know, Obi-Wan says, you know, back off. This is this is Jedi business. Yes. And it was like that was like yes. the most cop shit, you know, that he had ever, yes. you know, I'd ever heard a Jedi say. And mm-hmm. the way he said it, you know, and it was like so when I hear Trey say this and say, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, they're up there policing. Um, mm-hmm. That was an interesting term. And I don't think that was on accident. I think that, you know, the writers, you know, you know, we you know, it, it, we don't know these writers, you know, yeah, we don't know their intent, but it felt like the intent of that was to, you know, to portray that, um, relationship between people living, mm-hmm. you know, so trying to survive, um, impoverished people trying to survive. Yeah. And they're not worried about the force. They're not right, worried about their relationship, their relationship with one, the police and two, what mm-hmm. the police perceive as issues and the violence mm-hmm. associated with that. Um, right. There's a great distance between these two these two points of view, and Trace and her sister are basically just trying to survive. And she even says, talking about the Jedi and everybody topside, she says they've forgotten about us. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, mm-hmm. she's right, isn't she? Right. Because before, yeah, this- and we see Ahsoka react to that by way of not revealing or more about herself. Mm, right. Like she doesn't she, want right. she she's. Not to know that if she was even in t- if she would have said that, yeah, you know, I was in the Jedi Order, I I, I was a Padawan. Mm-hmm. But when when it was the Jedi were police and they they started the war, Ahsoka defended the the starting the war. The Jedi are trying to end it, mm-hmm. but that was basically it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, she's not really revealing how she knows certain things about other parts of the galaxy, other planets that we learn about, that we see mm-hmm. in the in the next episode, deal, no deal. Right. And she even says, you know, hey, I am, um, you know, she says, I learned these things from my older brother. Um, she doesn't mm-hmm. say I learned it from Jedi, I learned it from my older brother. Um, Star, uh, Skywalker Academy. Yeah, Skywalker Academy. So those things are interesting. And it was also interesting to me that Ahsoka, she kind of behaved like a cop at certain times mm-hmm. in the sense that she was very much, it was almost like, again, it was almost like she was an ex, you know, kicked off the force or something because she, she wasn't a cop, but still her sensibilities were still that her viewpoint was still that of a police because it was like, 
she was telling them she, throughout both of these episodes on multiple occasions, she was telling Trace and Rafa, you can't do that. That's, you know, that's against the rules. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to get in trouble, blah, 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 blah. But she was mm-hmm. offering no solutions to how, you know, because they're because Trace and Rafa are like, motherfucker, we got to do this because we we like to eat. You know what right. I'm saying? It's like we right. need to eat. But Ahsoka's not she's not Ahsoka isn't offering solutions because the solution would reveal more about who she was and her background. That, and I think also because she's just not she's she's never been in that lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? She's yeah, not okay. like uh-huh. Anakin true, true. or to your point, Luke or something. You know, anybody who's ever struggled, she you know, to my mm-hmm. to my knowledge, I don't know where she was before um uh was it Master Plo found her and brought her to the Jedi Temple when she was, you know, twelve mm-hmm. or thirteen or whatever. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, Ahsoka hasn't had to live that life. And so her point of mm-hmm. view constantly through these two episodes is, well, you can't do that because this is wrong or whatever. And Trace and especially Rafa is like, yeah. we have to do this because we have to survive and we can't depend on anybody else. They, meaning the the cops and the Jedi, you know, the top side people, they mm-hmm. forgot the about protectors, us. They forgot right. about and us. So yeah. we on our own yeah. down here. So you yeah. all these rules you got you know, said is not feeding us. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. was that was very interesting to me. So I felt like these these. um metaphors and these analogies felt very um intent and you know very much um intended to provoke real world issues and to me i was cool with that in this regard because i felt like it was well done it wasn't like they were just posting up um two latinas down there and saying you know Mm -hmm. yeah this is they're going to represent you know the lower classes just because they're latina nah it was like there was some real character development and you even saw and deal no deal um you saw uh trace exhibit what i what i would term i'm not a psychologist but i would term very common things you see with people struggling with you know what basically with people who are struggling and that mm-hmm. was um she had anger issues you know she had abandonment issues she really wanted you know soka to stick around um you could tell yeah. that she she had you know her parents weren't there you could tell she has some sort of abandonment issues um, she was impulsive at times mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. had a very strong sense of um, claim and ownership over that one possession, which was her ship. You know, that was the only yep. thing she owned. You know, she didn't have yeah. she didn't have wealth. She didn't have a bunch of things. She had one thing. And mm-hmm. when it came down to it, the very thought of that thing being taken away of losing that thing, not even losing it, of it being taken from her. She lost yeah. it. She her, she was like, oh, shit, you know, that's not going to happen. And she did something really mm-hmm. stupid because of that. Yeah. And I think all those are kind of like, you know, I think you can you probably agree with me. Those are things that we see in either ourselves or family members or people that we're close mm-hmm. to um, who are dealing with, you know, who are really struggling um, economically or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Those are traits that you commonly see. And I wonder if the introduction of the Martez sisters um as latinas mm-hmm. gave gave some gave the writers some license to explore issues that are important to the the latinx community mm-hmm. i think so and i wonder again i think it comes back to you know we'll see as this art plays out you know how deep or how you know not yeah. how shallow they may get with it i don't know but in these first yeah. two episodes i think that it works because they aren't one, they aren't heavy handed with it. And then two is dealt uh, to your point. It's very real world and very authentic in the sense that 
they aren't like using them as um, caricatures. You know, they aren't, mm-hmm. you know, they're, right. they aren't using them um, in, as stereotypes in any sort of way. These are, mm-hmm. they're fleshing them out. And it's like, you sit, you really sense, you know, cause when we first see Rafa, she's, mm-hmm. you know, in her laundromat or whatever she owns, which I don't know if we've ever seen a laundromat in star Wars, by the way, but that was cool. Um, mm-hmm. She's in her laundromat, you know, looking, opening up the, you know, looking for clothes. Like, you know, let me see if anybody left anything. How real is that? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's, right. that's real, man. That's, that's like, right. yo, that level of authenticity and the fact that, you know, here are two sisters and the older one is obviously a little bit more cunning um, or savvy or savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, Trace, you can see was probably a little bit more damaged by, you know, whatever happened with their parents you know, the fact that their mm-hmm. parents are there. And Trace is a little bit more needy in the sense that, you know, she she really wants Ahsoka to stay and, you know, she really wants to build a friendship. Um, these are just it was all of it was ha- handled in a way that made the characters three three dimensional. So it was like I didn't feel as if they were stereotyping at all. You know, these are real mm-hmm. people. Um, so it to me, is it, it becomes compelling in that way to see how they're going to play out. And I, I also got to say that. They who, you know, I did I meant to look up and I didn't get a chance to before the show. I wanted to you know look up the two um, actors who are doing the voices um, for for Trace and Rafa. But shout out to them, too, because, again, that, you know, not just in the 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 tonality of their voice or the, you know, like I mentioned early earlier, the like the quote unquote flavor in their voice that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of shows brings out the cultural elements. Um, but even in some of their word choices and how they they phrase things, there's a point in Deal No Deal, the second episode of the arc, where Tra- um, Rafa sits back. You know, mm-hmm. they're on the ship, and Rafa is like, "Yeah, you know, uh, I forgot the dude's name who she's working for, but you know, oh boy, you know, better have my money." You know what I'm saying? And she says it like that, you know? Yeah. And it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. And it like, it was like, it jarred me only in the sense of, because I wasn't expecting it, but it didn't take me out of the show. It didn't, it wasn't mm-hmm. like, and again, not to, uh, you know, bash the, the sequel trilogy, but it wasn't like in last Jedi at the beginning when dude is like, you know, can you hear me now? You know, it, yeah. it wasn't like that. It wasn't, it didn't take me out of the movie or the, 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 uh, the experience of watching this show it felt very real to Rafa's character, but that was some real world um, shit, basically. You know what I'm saying? The way she mm-hmm. said it, yeah. just her, her yeah. attitude. And she was like, yeah, you know, this is going well. Uh, we about to get paid. You know, old boy better have my money. She said better have my money, you know? And it was yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. oh, Star Wars coming with it like that. And it felt right. And credit credit to the to the writing and credit to those voice actors um, who, who brought it home like that. You know, let me ask you, and uh, it was a, it was a, okay. I know we're giving, I'm gonna give another spoiler alert. Cause I know we're kind of like dipping in and out. Yeah. Um, We've given plenty of those. So I don't hear no complaints. In. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a scene, a very short scene in deal, no deal where, uh, where trace inadvertently, went into a military lane mm-hmm. uh, she was flying the ship in a military uh in military space mm-hmm. and ahsoka you know like flipped out like yo you know you need to get up out this lane <laughs> don't respond to the calls that they're making right. you just need to go i just know i just know you know right. i just know what's going to happen and we see that anakin is on the the large military carrier right transport yeah or the, carrier. the transport yeah, yeah, yeah. um 
And there's a moment where the commander of the ship, who has warned Trace's vessel that he could have her arrested, he could pull her license, which Trace doesn't have. She doesn't have a pilot's license. <laughs> of course not. Right, right, right. We riding dirty. Thirteen dog. License. <laughs> yeah. How much that costs? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a there's a moment where the where the commander asks asks General Skywalker, "Hey, you know, I was about to arrest him. Should I send? Should I? You know, should I send some ships to just go ahead and just you know snatch him up?" Mm-hmm. And we see the exchange. We see we see Anakin search search his feelings. And connect with Ahsoka, who we see visually respond. So they know that each other is present. And Anakin says, no, you know, it's all good. No big deal. You know, don't even worry about it. Mm -hmm. That to me, I, I I could have done without that scene. And the reason why is because it seemed out of, out of character for Anakin, who has real trouble with letting go, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one of the main lanes that Palpatine used to even convert him. Mm-hmm. For Anakin, for it to be that fresh, mm-hmm. the separation between him and Ahsoka, where Ahsoka walked away from him, to be that fresh, it seemed uncharacteristic for Anakin not to it, not to reach out to her directly. Mm-hmm. I, I get... I get don't arrest the ship or don't pull the ship right. to a degree. Like I could let that part go, but for him to just sort of like think on her, realize that she's there and let go mm-hmm. seemed completely uncharacteristic. Well, first of all, let me say, I love that scene because it was a touching scene. You know, when he connects with her, I was like, oh. agree. Anakin and Ahsoka I've learned is a real soft spot for me. You know, I learned that in rebels, you know, for obvious mm-hmm. reasons in rebels. Um, but their relationship is a real soft spot for me. So yeah, seeing, them connect was like a very, I thought was a very touching moment, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would agree with you wholeheartedly if it weren't for the arc that ended season six, you know, um, with Ahsoka, was it, Mm -hmm. was it season six, season five, I think season five, the arc that ended season five with, you know, Ahsoka's, you know, leaving the Jedi order. And we saw during those, I think it was three episodes, maybe four, but we saw during those episodes, Anakin's great struggle to let go of her, you know, again, mm, he's cause mm-hmm. this happened before, you know, he's, he's been pushed, um, by other Jedi not to have such a strong bond and to be able to let go of her, of, of a so right. necessary. We'd heard that all throughout the series. Right. But yeah. in that arc of that end of season five, he refused for good reason to believe that she was guilty of what she was being accused of. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he had, he, he, I mean, the anger, you know, that came out of him and just the, um, the refusal to to let go of her, and even when she decided to leave the Jedi Order, you know, he he didn't beg her to stay, but he ran after her and was like, "No, you know, you have to stay." Blah blah. blah. I would be with you if it weren't for that, but I think that okay. right there was enough yes. that he's in a he's in a period. And, and the other thing mm-hmm. is that we don't know how much time has passed. It's almost portrayed as as if this, you know, that um, uh, gone without gone with a trace. It's almost portrayed like that started like a day or two after season five and did but i don't i don't i don't know if we're supposed to think that or if we're supposed to think that season six has transpired so there's been some time like you know maybe six months or something like that it's gone past i don't know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but i think anakin to me is in a place where he's he's in a lot of pain 
we saw that when he was talking to Padme in, um, mm-hmm. in the earlier show this season and his, his, the people he cares about, he's really struggling how to be a good Jedi, but kind of deal with these feelings of trying to protect and love the people that he loves, that he loves, you know, and mm-hmm. Rex, Ahsoka, um, Padme, you know, probably even Obi-Wan, he's having a hard time dealing with how do I, you know, how do I, how do I deal with these feelings of affection and love when I'm not supposed to have attachments? It's like, this shit ain't making mm-hmm, sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm, it's bumping mm-hmm, heads. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, that moment that you're talking about in this, in a, a deal, no deal. I feel that that was a moment where, yeah, he could have said, no, stop it. I need to, or he could have reached out to her and be like, Ahsoka, you know, come back. You know, he could have done anything or yeah. he could have done exactly what he did and say, let it go. I think it depends upon the day. I think he's at that point where it just depends mm-hmm. upon what day it is. If that was Monday mm-hmm. and that happened, he could have let her go on Tuesday. He could have been like, nah, you know, Soka, it's me. Come back, you know, begging uh-huh. her to come back. It just depends upon the mm-hmm. day. I think he's very um, mm-hmm. ephemeral right now with, you know, his, his feelings are fleeting right now as far as mm-hmm. going, you know, and capricious to a point of view, to a point. Um, so I, I can understand why you had, you know, reservations about that scene, but it didn't necessarily yeah. bother me because I just see him in a very, like I said, a capricious point where he's, not really, you know, he's, he's unbalanced right now. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't think he's completely let it go. We'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. Cause obviously they do connect. We know that in, you know, in the coming episodes, um, they are going to reconnect, um, with the whole Mandalorian thing, but it's going to be interesting to see. So, but as far as the, the racial aspects of these, these things, again, this is something I think we will continue to touch on and come back to. There's a couple other things, um, we've talked about Finn before. We've talked about, you know, even even at the beginning of this season with the uh, the natives of that, the indigenous people of that planet that um, uh, Rex and the other clones, um, in, you know, engage with um, when they're fighting against um, the separatists. There's, yeah. you know, there's so many aspects of race and culture that come into Star, Star Wars from a real world point of view that I think it definitely deserves our attention. And I think we're, we're uniquely positioned. I think this show is uniquely positioned to talk about it. So we'll be back on that. We will be back. Uh, but we are going to put a full lid on episode 14 of mad unreal. Reach out to us via Twitter using the hashtag mad unreal. Uh, Isaac and I want to uh, get some feedback on what we've talked about. We love having feedback on what we talked about and, um, see if uh next episode we can't get you involved in the conversation as well and they can find you on twitter at where uh handle is a r r t h u r r and you can find me at at isaac perry i s a a c p e r r y um and definitely hit us up and let us know what you are thinking and what your thoughts are about all this um yes yeah, it's, it's i mean these are these are subjects that i think again, deserve a lot of attention, a lot of conversation. Um, so we would definitely want to hear what you guys think about um, the Martez sisters and uh, everything we've talked about as far as Rosario and um, Ahsoka Tano. All right, everybody stay safe. Uh, keep your hands clean. Keep them. Keep those hands off of your faces. Make sure you wipe everything down. Um, just play it safe because you play it safe, then uh, uh, not that nothing can go wrong but you know you certainly take a lot of the chance out of the equation and Arthur can finally come out of his house again (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god <laughs> so do all that and uh, above all things keep it unreal peace <laughs>